Hello and welcome back to the Everyone's a Football Critic podcast with me, Zach Palmer, and as always, my good friend, Mr. Callum Distin. Callum, how are we doing? I'm doing great. We're England are into a final for the first time in either of our lifetimes, either of my parents' lifetimes as well. Like it, this is a very, very rare occurrence. It's quite surreal, really, isn't it? Was it 55 years since we last got to a final? And obviously, that's when we won it by the World Cup. That is. Um, as Schmeichel was very uh, keen to point out in his uh, pre-match press conference, um, which, I, to be honest, I thought was quite funny, but I know some people have t- yeah, t- taken it a little bit to heart, but I, I think he completely That's- understands what the whole phrase and song is about, and he's just taken the piss. I mean, he's lived in England for the majority of his life, so he knows what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to. I, I put out a bit of a, a tongue-in-cheek tweet last night. I don't know if you saw it. That was sort of quoted Schmeichel and then said, yeah, you are going home to Leicester now. <laughs> but like, <laughs> he definitely does. You live in England. It's, it's kind of, there is a real, well, it's just really amusing. Lots of foreign fans just don't seem to get that it, it's not an arrogant song. It's literally a song about how we perennially, uh, uh, yeah, that, sorry, perennially. <laughs> perennially. Underachieved. That's the word. Yeah, thank no. you. Under. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> underachieved. I, I, just like in all throughout our history, that's like that's all the songs about. Yeah, and I mean, also, it, it was it was mostly sang when the tournament was literally going to be played in the UK, right, or in England rather. Yeah. And um, so it was literally about football, the, like the tournament coming back to being played in England as well. So, but I mean, look, so, some England fans do. Um, get a little bit high and mighty about it all, I think, and can get quite arrogant and entitled during international tournaments. But for the most part, we're all quite um, negative <laughs> as England football fans. <laughs> yeah. I think we, we constantly just think, you know, very pessimistic. We think we're going to lose all the time. And any any ray of hope that we can hold on to is what we, uh, what we do. Um, but I think we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, the split between England fans, because I do think there's England fans and then there's England fans. And I think there is a <laughs> difference between uh, the two and whether you like them or not. Um, but should we, we'll, we'll, st- we'll start with England, Denmark, and we'll start with the football first. Obviously, going into it, we weren't quite sure discussing last time out whether we were going to play the three at the back or whether we were going to stick with the 4-3-3-1 or 4-3-3, depending on how you want to look at it. We went with the... Four two three one four three three um, formation. Why do you think we decided to go with that? And do you think, in the end, it was the right decision? We we definitely grew into the game. It did not look like the right decision for the first 35, 40 minutes. Um, we had, we had, we were the better side in that first half, but. <laughs> It, it just seemed like we were getting outnumbered in quite a few places in areas in the pitch, especially attacking um, down that left wing. They doubled and sometimes tripled up on Sterling, and we just we just didn't seem to have the men in the right positions to cope with that. Um, I think as as the game went on, we kind of adapted a bit more, and as to be fair, the Danish got a lot tireder. Um, we really grew into it. It's obviously much better to grow into the game than to start well and then drop off but um it wasn't it, it was a fine decision we we looked pretty solid um the uh the personnel it was only Saka that changed wasn't it mm. and i don't think regardless of whether you think it's the correct decision or not i don't think that was a surprising decision to anyone um southgate clearly likes him and to be fair to him he has played 
reasonably well when he's been given his chance. Um, I, I, I wasn't, even though I'd, I'd have kept Sancho in myself, I wasn't at all surprised when I saw his name on the team sheet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on Saka a little bit more in depth because I do think there's some, there's some things to be said, um, both positive and negative about his performance and his inclusion so far this tournament. But just on the, on the formation for a bit, I've just, I just felt, I understand why he did it. And this links to playing Saka actually because Denmark are quite fluid. Christensen will sometimes drop into midfield, midfield, sometimes he'll drop back in, um, to a back three. And that's quite fluid. And then obviously you've got, Rathquay that tucks in alongside Dolberg a lot and Damsgaard then comes central. So is it a two up top or is it more of a, a front three? It's quite fluid. And I think he just thought, well, Rice can drop into a back three if we need to do that. Uh, Saka can drop into playing as a wing back if we do need that to happen. So we'll stick with that. But as you say, I think basically the first half, to be honest, we were really feeling our way into the game. And I just felt like, I, I think Mount was the one that kind of got a bit lost because he wasn't sure whether to, to stay with Christensen when he was sort of dropping into midfield and then dropping back which was then just leaving Hoiberg with like quite a lot of space. And, you know, Phillips wasn't quite getting up and being aggressive enough. I thought I thought Rice looked quite lost a lot of the time uh, because he was trying to sit a bit deeper, but that was giving Delaney a bit too much space. And I I just think we just didn't quite get that mid- midfield um, mould quite right. But it did improve second half. It, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great start. But anyway, on, on, on Saka, what did, what did you think of his performance against Denmark? Um, I thought it was relatively similar to his other performances in that he he lost the ball quite a lot. It felt like um, he's a really <clears throat> he's quite a strong dribbler, as shown by the um, assist. I thought he'd I thought he'd released it too late, and then he took even more even a few more steps, and it was obviously a perfect release and forced known goal, which is just unfortunate for the defender. He, he has two choices: he either touches it and potentially gets a miracle clearance and it or it goes in his back or it goes in the back of the net or if he leaves it Sterling's there and it's a tap in he, he has to get a foot on it and it's just what happens um I do think a benefit of having Saka is that he he I, I use this as both a positive and a negative that he's still young and raw so he is quite unpredictable um as a defender to defend against but it also means some some of the time he can look a bit clueless and not 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 clueless in that he doesn't know how to do something he just doesn't know what the best decision is to make um which, which is understandable being like the youngest in the squad i presume um i know Bellingham, but being the youngest starting player anyway one of the youngsters with some of the least experience it's kind of that's what you come to expect yeah i'll, I'll be honest Bukayo Saka has got quite a, quite a bit of praise, I think, based on his last few performances for England. Nah, I do understand. He seems like a really likeable guy, and he is a really good football player. But I, I really don't get his inclusion. I, I Obviously, if you haven't seen it, I put up a thread on our Twitter, at EAFC underscore podcast, if you want to go check it out. Um, but that, there I was just talking about some of the wide players that England have at their disposal, some of the positives negatives of both of them and why Southgate might lean one way or another and it seems on the face of it that you pick someone like Saka for his defensive capabilities he obviously can play as a wing back um, he's also quite comfortable dropping a bit more central so you would think that that's why he's playing but his his defensive numbers are really like not that great 
like yesterday, um, yesterday he only put up nine pressures, which is quite poor, really for for a, a, a wide player in this system. I mean, Sterling was actually worse last night, but actually overall we were a lot worse last night. I mean, Phillips was far and away the highest with thirty-seven. I think the second best is seventeen. So there's quite a big drop off in the the amount of pressing we did last night, which I think was a big problem and why we didn't look as strong uh, throughout the entire game. But like Saka's not offering enough there. Um, he's hardly winning the ball back a lot either. Uh, I think he only made one tackle last night. And you would think that that sort of a player, then you want him to be really comfortable and assured in possession and just sort of retain the ball really well. But he had a pass completion rate of less than 70% last night against Denmark. So if you're going to have someone that's given the ball away that much, why don't you just play Grealish or Sancho? The The reason is, like for his assist in inverted commas because obviously it won't go down as an assist but it, it was a great run and a good ball across as you say I mean you put a ball in that sort of an area you're you're asking for for a goal whether that's Sterling tapping whether that's a defender own goal but so yeah obviously when you put the ball in that sort of an area you're bound to get something from it but um well, that's what he's offering then is those runs in behind and I I am of the opinion that I don't think you need sort of a player in Sterling and Saka that both have the same sort of characteristics in that sense. I think you can play someone else, but that's about that's about the only reason I can see why Saka's playing in this team is because of his running in behind. Which I just think you can like you can ask Foden or Sancho to do more of that, I, and then they will offer so much more in other areas of the pitch. Foden and Sancho, uh, actually maybe not Foden, but Sancho for sure has been a far more proficient presser of the ball than Saka has. So. I'm not. I'm not really sure. And even in the attacking stats, Saka carried the ball 30 times. Six of those were progressive. He completed one out of two dribbles. Like he's hardly sort of tearing the ground up. I really like Bakaya Saka, and this sounds like a bit of an onslaught of him. But I am just a little bit confused by his inclusion and why he came back in. <clears throat> no, I, I I agree. I he's someone who, in the next few years, potentially potentially even by the World Cup will be a big player for England. And certainly, he's still really young. He's got a big, big future ahead of him. Um, but like you say, it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's quite ready or quite there yet. And certainly not, certainly not there ahead of the other options. When it when it's a position that we're like probably the most oversaturated for on the pitch, like that, we've got the most options in those wide positions. And to me, he's, to me, if you look at the squad, if if we didn't, if it was a twenty three man squad, not a twenty six, like in my head, he would be one of the players who was unfortunate to miss out, but would have missed out. So I don't, I don't really know how he's gone from that to a starter, and I can't. And it's not that he's played awfully. Yeah. It's just I can't see that what he's offering that someone like you say, someone else, a Foden or a um, Sancho, they could offer that too and more. And and I think as we'll come on to Foden, I think did when yeah. he came. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, let, let's let's talk about Foden then. Let's go to Foden first. What did you think of his performance? What did he offer that was a little bit different to um, Saka? Bearing in mind that he actually, when he came on, he came on for Mount, which I thought he might come on for Sterling because obviously Saka had already been changed for Grealish at that point. So, and Sterling had been on the whole time. So I thought maybe Foden, Sterling would have been the most natural uh, change. Obviously, Southgate really liked Sterling, so kept him on. So withdrew Mount. What did you think Foden offered in that more central role? Um, I thought I was happy with Mount coming off. He hadn't, he didn't, 
he didn't have an awful game, but he was... I, I think you touched on it earlier. He was a bit isolated at some points, which is kind of unusual for a player of that position. That's something that it's kind of it's really common to be talking about. Oh, the striker was really isolated this game. He didn't get many balls into him. It it felt like it felt a bit like that with Mount. Um, when he was on the ball, he was decent enough. But then when Foden came on, he did just look a little sharper. He he was kind of attempting some more progressive passes that it felt like um, Mount wasn't necessarily attempting. Um, to be fair, I felt like that about the whole team. I, I'm when Henderson came on as well. He was way more aggressive with his passing than um, Rice had been. And it was just... It was... It, it it bordered on negative crossing over from the safety first approach. And I wouldn't say there have been many points during this tournament specifically that I felt that from um, England. We kind of... We, we obviously have gone safety first and not wanted to concede. But without being overly negative about it and there were some points last night where I really I, I it was things like that there was a pass for say that there was a pass from like full back to say right back to left centre back they would that pass would never be played without going through the right centre back and vice versa if you go left back to right centre back that pass was never played without going through the left centre back and by that point so we, we've got it on one wing and they, they've put three players on Sterling which happened multiple times there's then um, who Saka or whoever, at, uh, depending on which point you're at in the game, out on that right wing. And it, if you just sort of play it back to the fullback who's in space, if he can play a switch, we've then got masses of space down that other side. And that just never happened. And that that quite frustrated me. And it felt like when Foden came on, he kind of had that, that attitude of, Obviously, it's not his job to be switching the ball. It's quite hard when you're in that central position. But he kind of it felt like he and I felt Henderson as well had that that sort of more positive forward thinking attitude. Yeah, I think it, the 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 data did support that. I think Foden in the short amount of time he was on the pitch because he was only on for less than half an hour. I think um, he did progress the ball quite a lot and did look a bit more aggressive. But I think some of it's a bit more of a some of the more intangible stuff of like him, Sterling and Grealish, I thought rotated a lot better and just kind of ended up getting themselves into better positions where I think Mount 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 does his own thing really, really well. He he always seems to be in the right place. He sits between the lines really well. His movement's really good. Obviously his pressing is very efficient. He's just very diligent off the ball. And the stats support that as well. He he he, he received eight um, progressive passes. So that just shows that he's in areas of the pitch, usually picking the ball up like kind of in the half spaces and turning. Um, I just think Foden maybe offered a little bit more variety because he can sort of play wide as well, whereas Mount isn't quite as natural drifting into the wide areas, although he does do it and can do it quite well. I, I thought Mount had a good game um, myself, but in the kind of less um, obvious ways, whereas I think Foden comes on and immediately looks like he might do something. And both both are completely legitimate in their own right. I, probably, I wouldn't ever sort of advocate for starting Foden in that number 10 role. I would always want Mount to be the starter in that role. I just think he's built for that and he's brilliant at it. Um, but Foden as a substitute to bring on in that role where you can have him then uh, switching with Grealish and Sterling or Sancho if he was to come on, Saka when he was on, if he had been on at the same time as Foden, etc. Just those rotations are really nice. And I think Foden's very good at that. Foden's very, just very, very intelligent as a uh, uh, as a football player. 
yeah, no, definitely. Um, like like you say, I I don't think there's there's been a bit there's been a bit of clamouring for Grealish to start in that ten roll ahead of Mount. Um, I think Grealish is a better player than Mount, but as a ten, as a ten in the squad, mm. Mount's the best for me. Um, but like you say, he he is a much more central player, whereas Grealish, Foden, and Sterling, all three of them, they they have their their favoured position, obviously. Mm which happens to be the same spot, unfortunately, for Sterling and Grealish. But they, they both have... they Sorry, they all have played anywhere across that front three for their clubs. Um, they, they've done it before. They're perfectly comfortable, which I think is why they're so comfortable being fluid. Because mm. and, and it looks really good. Um, Sancho and Sterling did it really well against um, Ukraine. They were often just swapping wings. And, and amounts of... Once he's once he gets pushed out wide, you kind of you can see from him that he really does want to get back in that central role because that's where he feels he has the most influence on the game. But you can't really you can't blame him. That's the sort of player he is, and that's how he how he plays week in week out for Chelsea. Um, but 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 having those substitute their yeah, substitutions, which are like massive, which just not even necessarily change the game, just just switch it up. And make it really fluid against a tiring defence, and and in extra time, um, that was even more evident because yeah. them were what were just shattered as soon as as soon as we'd scored the goal that they weren't coming back, were they? It was all England, and there were quite a few points where we could have got another quite good chance, and we decided to just run it into the corner either because they weren't they they were going to take a while to come over and press, and we we started doing that a lot earlier than you'd normally see teams doing, actually. Um, but, but that's just because they were out of energy. It took them ages to get over, and then we just had time to move it about and keep holding the ball. Yeah, I think I think the um, I think the key difference between Mount and then his counterparts in Foden, Grealish, Sterling is I think that the latter of those three, Sancho, I think you can throw into this as well. They do a lot of things um, very sort of self-centered in the nicest possible way. They're they're looking for the best areas that they can get into, so they can re- receive the ball. And create something or score. Whereas I think Mount is constantly thinking, okay, where's the best place I can be for the team? Which uh, not, neither is a criticism because actually both benefit the team ultimately. Because obviously Foden, Grealish, they're trying to get into places to receive the ball dangerously so they can create a goal for the team. But I think Mount is just a little bit constantly about, okay, how can I protect my other players? Whereas Grealish, Foden are more like, okay, where, where can I go to kind of exploit the opposition? Where can I drift to? And that's why I think they just feel very comfortable just drifting anywhere and everywhere to try and pick up the ball. Um, but I think... Yeah, just... Uh, oh, no, you go. You sorry, go. I was just going to say um, about that, uh, the moving to for a better position for the team. I think that's a big factor why Mount starts in yeah. Southgate's eyes because mm-hmm. that's clearly... That's a strength. That's one of Sterling's greatest strengths, if not his greatest strength, actually. He's been superb at that all tournament. Even... Even in the games where people were criticising him, he he makes runs that drags defenders out of position. And when when you're, it, it works really well for him that he's as good as he is, <clears throat> because if it's say if it if it's Saka making that run and the ball's going to come into Kane, you can probably afford to go. Actually, we're less likely to concede if Saka gets the wrong goal than if we let Kane have it on the edge of the box. With Sterling, you can't do that. You have to track the run, and that drags players out of position. There was a I think Kane skied it. It wasn't. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't a, a close shot. Shot. It was in the first half. Some point, Sterling made a really, really good run, and it just gave 
Kane loads and loads of space to receive the ball, and he he's done that superbly all the tournament. Yeah, no, no, ab- absolutely, I, I agree. Um, I want to I want to talk now just a little bit about the double pivot of Rice and Phillips. How did you think that they played today? Did they offer it? Uh, not today, sorry, yesterday. Do you think that they offered enough? I'm gonna. I'm going to talk about them separately. I thought Phillips had a better game than he did against Ukraine. His pressing seemed to be a bit less headless chicken. I don't. I haven't looked at the stats. I would imagine he was more successful, but <clears throat> I, even if he wasn't, it was kind of it wasn't like he was running in and then just completely miss miss timing a press. He was still doing it effectively and putting them under pressure and forcing maybe forcing them to play a pass off earlier than they wanted to. Rice, on the other hand, I didn't feel he pressed enough. Um, <laughs> something I've joked about with my dad when watching is he, he never seems to have his not have his hand up. He's always calling for the ball, but he doesn't always seem to call for it in very good positions. And I don't mean, I don't mean where say if he's near someone, he's he's absolutely comfortable enough on the ball if he receives the ball and doesn't have much time on it. I've got, I don't. I've got no like concerns really about him losing it, even though he did yesterday actually, which ended up leading to a free kick um, or a chance even. But he he just he he was standing for multiple points where he had the ball, and he was there was a player directly in between him and whoever was on the ball, and he was sat like screaming for it. And fortunately, there weren't any. I don't. I can't remember any chances where our players decided to pass to him in that. Um, situation but he was he was just calling for it in really bizarre positions his pressing wasn't good i think his passing was the worst it's been all tournament with regards to his choice of passing i'm not talking about his, his i'm not talking about his accuracy or or even whether they're progressive or negative he just always seemed to pick the wrong pass and again like i've criticized him for before it was just always the pass right next to him he was quite a big culprit of what I was saying earlier of passing to the player next to him and then the player next to him passing on to the other one rather than just going on to the other one. And there were a few times I was watching it and I'd like turned to my dad and said, like, if he was playing for West Ham there, he'd have played it to the fullback and we'd have been up, or they'd have been up on an attack. But he just doesn't. And I, I'm kind of I'm getting to the point where I don't know how much of that is to blame on him and how much of that is to blame on um, Southgate. Because there are there are there are valid criticisms of Southgate this tournament, but there haven't been many, and I'm just wondering if this this is one because he does. I I just I don't know what kind of a combination if it's Southgate maybe telling him to be a bit more safety first, and and uh, Rice is taking that to the extreme too much, or if he really is being told to just not pass the ball to anyone who's not directly next to him. I, I just can't tell. Yeah. And I, I do think, I do think, I just wish Henderson was fit to start because he is just, I think he's it, just I think levels above. And, and that's it. He, I, if he's fit to start, he has to start the final for me. And, and I, I, I don't really see an argument against that, to be honest. Although, no doubt you may, you may be about to no, give me one. No, no. Well, well, we, we can maybe discuss a little bit of a preview for the final later, but, I think that both both Bryce and Phillips are clearly playing in a different system and have been tasked with different roles to those at their clubs. I think Phillips has adapted a lot better than Rice has. Because Rice, as you say, I think 
decisions decisions on the ball in terms of passes, being more conservative, he doesn't do that for West Ham. So I can only assume, yes, that that is partly Southgate's doing, whether that's very in a very literal sense, or whether, as you say, Rice is just maybe taking it to the extreme a little bit. But yes, he's not as exciting as he could be. But the the flaw for me, and this goes back to when we were talking about squads and um, ideal lineups and stuff before the tournament started. I think we were both in agreement, or certainly at least I, I remember saying <coughs> myself, that if we were to play a 4-3-3 and we were to play a single pivot midfield player, it had to be Calvin Phillips. Because Declan Rice is not good enough at receiving the ball off the back four, turning and distributing the ball. And I thought both Rice and Phillips had a pretty poor first half. And then I thought Phillips grew into the game and had a great second half, particularly the last sort of 20 minutes and into extra time. I thought Rice was fair, fair, fairly poor. I think as a, as a guy that was playing most of the game as a, as a six, he only, he only, uh, had 67 touches of the ball, which, and Calvin Phillips had 99, which just goes to show that Phillips was having to pick up a lot of the slack of, I think, dropping in and taking the ball off the centre-backs. We saw that at the start of the second half. I, I think it was probably arranged. I think Southgate probably made a change to kind of basically drop Phillips in as the six because Rice just wasn't taking the ball off Maguire and Stones and turning and getting things moving, whereas Phillips is so much better at that. And I don't, I don't quite know what it is. It's, it's slightly a body language thing. I think Phillips just turns a lot better. I think he's constantly receiving on the half turn, whereas Rice seems to be a lot slower, kind of receives with his back to a goal and then has to sort of turn or just kind of place the way he's facing, which is fine. That's what you're always told to do, you know, play the way that you're facing. But as a holding midfield player, as a number six, that's a linchpin of the team. You need to manoeuvre your body so you're receiving the ball in the right body position in the right areas of the pitch to be able to progress the ball better. And Phillips is way better at that than Rice is. Phillips has done very, very well this tournament. I think he had a really poor first 45 against Denmark and then had then showed, I think, exactly why he's a mainstay in this team and why he's probably in the discussion for player of the tournament for England. I don't think he probably is. I think Sterling probably has been the best player of the tournament. But Phillips has shown that he can do the box-to-box eight stuff. He can drop in as a six. He's just been such a versatile wonderful midfield player and he's been so important but yeah I was really disappointed with Rice I'll be honest because I think I think he's a great player and I just think actually that yesterday he just he didn't do enough for me as you say he didn't press very well he wasn't receiving the ball well he wasn't distributing the ball well so and then he was swapped for he he swapped for Henderson wasn't he but I mean in terms of Phillips dropped into the sixth role and Henderson came on to play the eighth role and I think we look better then so is there an argument to say that actually that is what we should be doing in the final Possibly. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> think that's what we should be doing. It's He always... Rice, he just always looks like he's running in treacle. He's so heavy-footed. And I think Phillips is really sort of the opposite of that spectrum. He's like very light-footed. Sort of almost, almost looks like he's floating sometimes. He's never like planted. Whereas Rice always seems to sort of firmly have two feet on the ground and be, like you say, really slow to turn... And I think, <clears throat> I think because of how good Phillips is at that, it really emphasises how much of a weakness of Rice's that is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree because I think they both have clearly shared some of the six responsibilities at times. And I think Phillips has consistently looks better and clearly has been favoured in that role as well because whenever a substitute has been made for Henderson to come on, it's been 
Rice that's given way and Phillips has dropped deeper. So clearly that would be the preference, I think, as well. And I think possibly we will see that against Italy on Sunday. Uh, let's talk about a couple of other um, individual performances then. Um, I thought that Kyle Walker was a lot, lot better last night than he was against Ukraine um, and actually than he has been all tournament, I think. Some of his recovery runs, runs were absolutely fantastic. Um, what did you think? Yeah, he was great. Once again, I'm just... He's someone who I don't... I don't know, when you're, when you're watching a game and it's not a team you're supporting, you don't necessarily watch the players in as mu- in quite as much depth. And just the like you say, the recovery runs, he's just so fast. And whenever he's making a run, like especially backwards, he, he seems to be faster when he's running back um, than he is going forward. He's just so rapid. We were... There was a corner in the first half, I think, where they could have got a counter-attack from. And Walker just sort of <coughs> ran back um, and straight across the Dane, who for some reason thought it was a sensible idea to get in a foot race with Walker. Which, <laughs> like, there are very few, there are very very few players in world football who are faster than him. He, uh, he was. I remember seeing a couple of years ago. He was in in some like <coughs> FIFA promotional thing. He was outraged that he was given like lower pace than Sterling and some other City players because he is apparently the fastest player. Like fastest sprinter in the squad, and that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, no, he, he he's absolutely rapid. Um, I think the thing that impressed me the most actually about Walker is I think we've always spoken about. Obviously, right back is another position in this England squad that we have options in abundance, and what Walker doesn't offer you a lot of is much going forward. But I actually thought that yesterday he, he offered a bit more there. I mean, I've just got the stats up here now, and. Um, you know, he, he, he offered three shot-creating actions and he carried the ball 75 times, six of which were progressive. And that's just a slightly better output from a fullback. He's a, it's a little bit more what Shaw was doing on the other side. And I just, I was happy to see him because at times I, I think there's space in front of him and he doesn't just carry the ball into it. He often just looks for an easier pass and shifts it off to someone else. When actually you're sort of willing him to go, actually, mate, just step up a little bit because you can cover yourself because you'll get back if you do lose the ball. Don't be scared to sort of step in field and step into the space that's ahead of you because you just squeeze everyone else a little bit higher. Um, so I was happy to see him just sort of uh, venture into those sort of areas a little bit more um, last night. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, What did you think of Pickford? I, I'll let yeah. you go first because I'm going to go into a Gary Neville tirade after you're done. Oh dear lord! <laughs> um, I I I thought Pickford was awful, and okay. I and I know that that's not going to make you very happy. Um, but look the the goal is probably slightly overstated. I think I think he can do better in terms of I think he can probably shuffle a little bit more. Um, quickly over to his right. The ball is not directly in the corner. It's from a long way out. You should probably be stopping that. Um, also, his answer's really, really tiny. Uh, poor guy. But that's, uh, that's, that's another issue altogether, which he cannot change. But to be honest with you, I'm not too fussed about that because, look, you're not gonna, you're not gonna save everything. You're gonna make a, make a mistake like that from time to time. Um, and I thought he made up with, for it in other areas with a couple of decent shot stops. Um, Elsewhere in the game, some really good saves. My biggest concern was his distribution last night. 
which is ob- obviously the reason he's in the squad is because he is the best distributor in this team and he looked panicky, rushed. He was hoofing it long rather than sort of picking out passes as he usually does. And and it, it, it shows this this tournament, he's been putting up about a pass, pass accuracy of about in the high 60s. 67, I think, is kind of roughly where he's been at most of the time. He's pushed into the 70s a couple of times, I think, against the Czech Republic. He was up at about <coughs> 72% passing accuracy, which is really, really good for a goalkeeper because you're often obviously hitting it a lot further. Um, last night... He it's really good for a goalkeeper who plays the sorts of passes yeah. he does as well. You have you have even even someone like Edison in mm. the league ha- normally ha- he tends to have way higher than that because he just plays it around the back. Yeah, even though his distribution is as good. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, Jordan often looks for the long range passes, and that's what he's so good at is those kind of missile guided guided long balls into the channels. But last last night he had a pass accuracy of forty eight percent, and that's just not good enough. He was giving the ball away too often, not just not just long passes that weren't finding their targets, and not even just passes that were going out of play because he was sort of searching for the fullback on the flank, although both of those things did happen. The most concerning ones were the little chips into midfield that were completely misjudged and just giving the possession back to a Danish player for a turnover and a great opportunity. So that's my that's my biggest concern. What about what about you? Because you you're gonna you're gonna try and defend the boy, aren't you? Um so I it was absolutely his worst performance distribution wise of the tournament. Um, I'm I'm going to defend him a little bit on the long ball ones. I don't think I I just don't think Kane did enough in the air on quite a few occasions. Which I mean, Vestergaard's huge. You can't. It's really difficult to win those headers. <coughs> but but then you bring it back to why is he kicking it there? Yeah, in the exactly. First place? It's the wrong pass choice, isn't it? That's the that's the issue. Yeah, but I my my issue is. Is more. I, I don't disagree with that. My issue is more so with the criticism he's got for the goal, um, which I, I've got. I've got a list of refereeing errors, which will inevitably come to when we come on to the referee. But so, so the the wall was within a meter of our wall when the ball was kicked, <coughs> which which means the free kick should not have stood. Um, the wall blocked his view. So he saw it really late, and to, to quote Gary Neville, who who in it, he was just who we were relatively complimentary of in our pundit rant last week or a few days ago. But he he said he he goes, "Oh, Pickford's seen it late," and then a couple of seconds later goes, "Oh, but he's di- he's dived late. He should have gone earlier and saved it." And those two things contradict each other. You have to pick one of those things to have. He's either either seen it late and that's why he's not been able to dive, or you can criticise him for not diving early. You can't give him an excuse and then just ignore that excuse that you've just given. Um, something uh, there used to be, I don't know if you ever listened to it, there used to be a, a podcast called The Number One Podcast, hosted by David Priest and Lloyd Griffiths. And it was a goal, it was so David Priest, ex professional footballer, and Lloyd Griffiths, comedian in inverted commas. Um, but it was a, it was a great, a really, really good pundit, uh, sorry, really good uh, podcast analyze sort of the big goalkeeping things in football and i i really just think there should be a goalkeeper in every put when there are when there are four players or x x players or managers whatever in in a punditry team i think one of them should be a goalkeeper because it's, it's a completely different position and 
And even so, okay, so even even though I, I'm very critical of the sort of older English ex ex pros who are pundits, they 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 don't add a lot, but they they like they to, they understand the game. They're ex professionals. They they played it to a far higher standard than any of us ever could, mm. um, and and they they at least understand it. That is not the case when they're commenting on goalkeeping, and I think it's really really obvious very often that these pundits just don't really understand what what is good goalkeeping and what's not and and i i just feel like when you're willing to, when you're willing to go okay we've got these people in as experts have an expert on the one position <coughs> that is completely different to every other position on the pitch um and, and I, i've always felt that i i the, that podcast ended two or three years ago now. I was really gutted when it did because it was great listening to a genuine keeper who I can go, actually, you know far more than me. I can analyse. I Because I, I mean, like, I've obviously not played it to a very high standard, but like, I, I've played football. I, I kind of understand that side of it. I've, I've never been a goalkeeper in a proper team. I, I can look back and go, actually, I have no experience of this here. If you're telling me, if you as an ex-professional keeper are telling me this, you're, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to see I just think there should be more of a focus on that in in football as a whole. Yeah, I don't dis I don't disagree with that. I think if you can get a pundit goalkeeper on the panel, that would be really useful. Whether that's practical, I don't know. But if it's not, then I think pundits need to be better at just holding their hands up and saying, "I don't understand this position and cannot comment on this uh, this to a high enough a highly analytical level." A high, a high enough level that is required for this level of analysis. Um, but go on then. Let's 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 do the let's do the refereeing then. Give us your list of all the uh, all, so, all the issues. <coughs> so first off, in about the second minute, there was <laughs> just a back pass. It wasn't. It wasn't a like. It wasn't a. Oh, we might have tackled that there. The the Denmark player got the ball and passed it to Schmeichel, and then he picked it up, and I was. I was sat like I was baffled that he that Schmeichel had made an error like that, picking it up, and then it wasn't given, and play just carried on. Do you know? Do you know something? The, they never get given. They, they no. actually happen a lot more often than you think, and you're like, "That's a back pass," but no ref has the balls to no. step up and go, "Okay, we'll make that decision." Because they they just go, "Oh, the, he wouldn't have picked it up if it wasn't a back pass." Like it's not FIFA. He has the ability to pick mm. it up if it's not yeah. a back pass. Like it's just. <laughs> It is. It happens all the time, and there are there are some which are hard to spot. I remember there was a load of controversy years ago. I don't remember how many when John Terry did it, um, <clears throat> and it he he disguised it really well with a tackle actually, which was difficult to see. And it was one of those that if it were any other player, you'd probably think it's just a tackle, but because it was John Terry and he was that good, it was really intelligently disguised. And the referee misses something like that. That's acceptable. That that was was a back pass. And I don't understand. I un- I get why you don't want VAR micromanaging everything, but surely that is something that you can quickly take a look at and go, no, that's a back pass. They're having an indirect free kick from there. And this, the same with... Um, who's corner? Someone... Was it... I can't remember which... Was it, did Italy score from a corner? Or was it one of the quarterfinal games? Someone scored from a corner and it just wasn't a corner. And for me, that's something that VAR should just take a look at and go, okay... It's taken us three seconds to yeah. see this that it was the wrong decision. I, I, turn it. I definitely agree with those sorts of things because people score from free kicks or corners that aren't checked by VAR. On the on the back passing, I can only assume that in every other facet of the game, 
of like the rule book, intent has been taken out of the game. Whereas for a back pass, intent is the important part because you can accidentally pass the ball back to the keeper and they're allowed to pick it up. But it's only if you've intentionally done it. And that's a really difficult thing to measure. And I think that's probably why they just don't get involved and don't make those big decisions. But for corners, I completely agree that should happen. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, I'll move on. Yeah. There, so <clears throat> I don't think their free kick was a foul, but I don't. It's one of those. If it, if it were, if it were, if, if VAR were looking at that, I don't think it would have overturned it. I've said already the wall was within a meter of ours, so that that should not have stood. That's whether you think it's given an unfair advantage or not, whether you think Pickford should have done better or not. That is the rule, and the goal shouldn't have stood. Um, there was I can't remember if it was the first or second half. I think it was after we'd scored, and sometime in the second half. Kane just got fouled in the box. He got hacked down, and and I was screaming. And then the replays came on, and I was confident mm-hmm. that a penalty was going to be given. Wasn't just all VAR might give that. It, it was absolutely stonewall. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't. And they they checked. Um, I can't remember. There, there was a. I can't remember what it was. There was some check in the in extra time which they spent way longer checking than they did that. They seemed to just brush over it, and I, I don't know how. The um, the England penalty was the correct decision in my eyes, and I don't really understand how there's... I understand how there's controversy if you exclusively look at it in slow motion. I don't really understand how if you look at it in full speed. There is the player on the right of Sterling clips it, and then he runs a couple more feet and begins to lose his balance. Because he's sprinting at full pace, and Sterling is a very fast man. I, I challenge any, any of the people who are criticising it and saying it's not a penalty to get at full sprint and get a little knock on the back of your heel and not fall over. He starts doing that, then this same player gets up to him and gets another touch, and then he's going down, and then as he's going down, the other player comes in from the other side with his knee and completely clears him out. And that's why, so I think that's that's probably why people are saying it's a dive, because he's already going down when the second point of contact is made. But but quite frankly, even even if he, even which I don't think he has dived, because he's sprinting at full speed and he's got off balance and that's how it works. Even if, um, even if he has dived, that, that first one and that second one, the, the third one's just a collision if he's dived. But the first two are fouls, regardless of whether he's gone down. They are fouls, and that is a penalty, and and that's why VAR doesn't overrule it. And I don't, and I just don't see the the need for all the outrage because it's not. I don't know. It's not. It's just not a blatant dive. There was um, there was another one in the second half of extra time, which I was pretty convinced was a penalty as well, but it didn't matter at that stage. And there were just, I just felt across the whole game. There were some really, really poor decisions, like both with regards to giving fouls and um, giving or not giving bookings. Rather, I think it was um, Delaney. He he put in a couple of late uh, late fouls, um, both like at least two stopping counter attacks, and and it's really clear in the rules that's that's a yellow card. I don't there's, I, I don't see how you can look at it and interpret it any other way that. We were about to break. He's just stopped that with no attempt to play the ball, um, and and there wasn't a booking. It was just, <clears throat> it was really just, it was a really poor refereeing performance. And there have been a couple of decisions I've criticised throughout the tournament, not many. This is the first game all tournament that I've watched that I felt like the ref really just. I think he let the occasion get to his head. It's something I, I see a lot week in week out as a Sunderland fan. 
of having the, the the sort of League One refs come along to a big stadium full of fans, loudly getting in their ears, and they it wasn't quite this bad last night, but they'll change their decision based on the crowd. Um, and, and, and I've kind of I think most Sunderland fans have come quite adept at spotting that, and that's what it felt like last night. It just felt like he'd clearly not not quite used to having a big crowd and getting on his back again, and he just really really bottled it last night. And I think fortunately it didn't affect the result and the result was a fair result it was three over three xg to less than 0.2 for denmark or something or maybe 0.25 it, it was yeah it depends it depends on the uh measure you use and obviously um penalty really skews it but it uh if you look at stats bomb it's a uh, 2.6 to 0.3 so yeah it, like it, it was fairly that's justified. not tight <laughs> um fairly justified i i, I agree with you i, I thought it was a Horrifying referee performance. Full stop. Um, on on the penalty, I, I I do agree with you. I think on the balance, there's enough contact that that is probably a penalty. And I think even even if it's not a penalty, for the sake of argument, I think that Denmark only really have themselves to blame because one, they definitely fouled Kane on that first one. That one was a stonewall penalty, hundred percent. I have no idea how. It was, no, wasn't it? really bizarre to me. But also, they're letting, they let us carry the ball into the box, like carries that start from outside of the box and then enter into the box. They let that happen 12 times. Sterling, Shaw, Grealish all did it on multiple occasions. You can't let quick players, quick skillful players constantly run into your penalty area. You are at risk of leaving a leg hanging and giving away a penalty. That's poor defending. So that a penalty was always going to be given just based on how much time we were having to carry the ball into the box. The only the only I- issue I have is that, and I, you didn't mention it, but there was two balls on the pitch when Sterling carries carries the ball into the box. That that is obviously an infringement. I I don't know. You can debate the kind of nuances of whether that ball actually interfered with play at all. Probably didn't. Did that distract anybody? Probably not, but that's kind of intangibles that you can't really quantify. If there's two balls on the pitch, you probably need to pull it back. So on that measure, it probably shouldn't have been a penalty. But we can always go back to the fact that that came one definitely should have been a penalty. So is it kind of... Uh, and their goal shouldn't have stood. Yes, I, 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 arguably. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too bothered about that. But yes, again, if you want to get into pedantics about... Oh, yeah. War, war, war I, I'm not that arsed. It didn't no, matter no, in the end. No, no, no. no. But... Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I just think I'm not that. I think I think two balls being on the pitch is probably a worse infringement than the wall moving a little bit closer to our wall. But um, that look, I thought that penalty was probably soft and probably shouldn't have been a penalty. But as we've said, we should have had a penalty elsewhere. So um, it is what it is. That refereeing performance <coughs> was horrific. Um, the only other thing to say on that penalty decision was, and I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but some England fans were shining a laser beam of some sort, obviously trying to distract Cassius Michael while the penalty was going on. That's fucking stupid, right? Yeah, no, not not remotely acceptable. Um, I, I looking into this, I did spot actually the ref um, paused it. The ref spotted it, and I didn't clock this at the time because no. I only saw the picture of the laser this morning. Um, the ref stopped it and indicated to his assistant that he gave some sort of 
universal laser pointer hand <laughs> gesture to his assistant. Was it was very clear what he was indicating. Yeah. You don't have to speak Dutch to know what he was saying. Yeah. Um, and I, I've only seen the still shot of that laser, so I can only presume that it was being shone sort of earlier and then didn't when the actual penalty was being taken because it, if the ref was aware of it, he would would have called it back. Um, and, and Schmeichel saved the penalty anyway. Yeah, you'd, you'd obviously have to speak to uh, Schmeichel in the sense of whether it did distract him or not. As you say, the penalty was saved, so presumably not. And also, he hasn't he didn't say anything about it after the penalty. There didn't seem to be any um, issues. So it, it seems like it didn't affect the play. But, I mean, other than obviously just being really poor sportsmanship, that's really dangerous. You can injure someone's eye by doing that. If he gets a laser in, directly into his eye, he can damage his eyesight. So that's not cool. And... I think that's really poor. And I think that comes on to the comment I made earlier about the difference between England fans, which is a really diverse, welcoming bunch of people from all sorts of different socioeconomic backgrounds um, in comparison to the England fans who were booing the Danish national anthem, which again, isn't cool, right? Like, I mean, I, I think if you... If you're an England fan booing a national anthem, you should really like go and listen to our national anthem because it's fucking dreadful. I mean, if <laughs> like I, I like for, like I appreciate that. I mean, you're 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 a Christian yourself. I'm not, so it probably resonates maybe a little bit more with you. But like as as a country of England, not everyone's a Christian, and I'm not particularly like a vehemently anti-monarchist or anything. But I'm not I'm not a, like a huge fan of the monarchy. And that's what that song is about. It's about Christianity it, I, and the monarchy. I, I think it's more about I think it's more about the monarchy than Christianity. I, I don't. Yeah. It, it, obviously, it comes from England traditionally being a Christian country. Yeah. But I don't. <coughs> I, I that, that's not a song I'll be singing in church. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> not, absolutely I don't. Not. I really. I, I really. I. I, I it's a shit song. I, I no, don't. It's care. awful. But that that's kind of so. I, I obviously would never boo another team's national anthem. No. But I struggle to get irate about it because I simply don't care about ours. Because I just mm. don't care about ours. I struggle to empathise. We'll just get, I struggle to get my head around anyone being asked about it. Even obviously, though, obviously that is really important for um, some fans. Mm. I do, I do think the 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 home nation fans who are quick to point the finger at England for booing the national anthem they they've all done it there are examples of them doing it as well it, it happens lots of sets of fans do it doesn't make it okay but i i like like i say i i wouldn't do it myself but i i struggle to get irritated about it just because i kind of yeah. I, I i don't mute the thing but i, I wouldn't be asked if it was muted during any of no the I, I agree and i like i wouldn't take any personal offense if someone booed the english national anthem because frankly <laughs> i think it, it, yeah but it represents englishness which is innately there's a lot of english national identity which is really like not nice like stems from really like negative um sort of personal outlooks but you know obviously the national anthem is reflective of that nation so booing it is a clear demonstration of disrespect towards that nation not necessarily the anthem in isolation 
I think that's so uncalled for. I mean, like, particularly, like, from, from our point of view, Danish, Danish people have been, like, so nice. I, I saw, like, some VTs, I think, that ITV were running, where, of, like, Danish fans saying that they always cheer for England in tournaments when they're not playing Denmark and stuff. And you just think, why are we, like, why would you, I just, I don't understand why you'd boo it. I agree with you, it's not, like, a huge deal, but it's just, it's just an unnecessary show of disrespect towards people that then just furthers this narrative that English people are xenophobic. And we just keep demonstrating it time and time again. And it's so unnecessary, I think. It just gives us a bad look for what is actually the majority of English fans is a hugely diverse and lovely set of people. But then just stupid subsets of people tend, like, and it tends to be the ones that are particularly vocal at football games, just fucking ruin it for no reason. I just think it's, it's such a shame. It's the same. It's the same middle-aged men who filmed themselves in front of their TVs, oh booing God. players, taking their knee, isn't it? It like <laughs> even I've, even even the weirdos who are booing it yeah. at games. I think even they, even they've turned around and looked yeah. at the people who are booing it in their own front rooms yeah. and gone, "Get a life, mate!" <laughs> like, get a life. Not great, just, is it? It's just a really bad look, and, and yeah. on that as well, actually, on booing you can have whatever whatever opinions you have on the taking the knee i'm of i i dislike it because i don't i think it gives uefa fifa etc an excuse to go look we are doing something when in actuality they're not and they're doing nothing to uh against racism and it's just kind of a show for them um but when when the players have come out and the black players as well I'm not black. You're not black. If some, if a black player has come out, which they have, and said, by booing this, we are interpreting that, uh, and we're feeling like you are really not standing with us and saying that racism is okay, you have no right to tell them that that's not how they should interpret it. If you've been told, I'm black and you're, and I feel that this is, like, this isn't okay, you, you should be, you shouldn't be doing it you should just be respecting that and going okay actually fine uh, i don't like it but i'm gonna buck up because i don't want to yeah. make the impression that i because because i don't want to make the impression that i'm pro-racism because all, all these people who do do it claim claim that the reason is they don't like the the marxist organization um <laughs> with, without knowing what the word marx yes. means um uh, and uh, yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it, like, it's silly they, because they, it's it's silly because yeah they they don't like the link to the Marxist in air quotes organization <laughs> that is Black Lives Matter, but all of the black players that are continuing to do the taking the knee have come out and said we're not doing it for that we're doing it as a stand against racial injustice this is what this represents please don't boo us because otherwise you are racist and misinterpreting what we're doing. And these racists, because that's what they are, continue to turn around and go, no, you're doing it because of Marxism. What right do you have to tell people why they're doing something? These black players have been very, very explicit about why they're doing it. And some, like uh, Wilfred Zaha, who for some reason these racists again like to put on a pedestal and say and justify their reason to to dislike the taking me. But Wilfred Zaha, as a black man, has every right to turn around and go, as I think lots of us do get the impression that this is a bit of a performative gesture from UEFA and FIFA to actually 
stop them from doing something that's actually really going to make a change. You know, they can they can hang their their pin on this and say, look, we're doing something. I think that both should be going on. I, I like the the gesture of taking the knee. I think that's completely legitimate. It's a nice show of uh, solidarity amongst everybody, whilst also you've got to be doing stuff behind the scenes to tackle racism. But if Wilfred Zaha, as a black man, wants to turn around and go, I'm not going to do it because I think this has become purely performative and I don't like it, that's his prerogative. It is not my prerogative as a white man or any other white man's prerogative to turn around and go, yeah, it's performative, it's not worth doing, we shouldn't be doing it. It's not our place to say like if the black players want to do it or don't want to do it, that's up to them, and they they're the ones that have to be deferred to in these situations. Yeah, I don't. Do you have any idea why? I was a little confused. The the Danish, all the players applauded it, but didn't just do it themselves. I was a little. Well, I I think obviously some countries have joined with the taking a knee um, as their show of like solidarity against racial injustice but i think some countries have different ways of doing it and like they just haven't all decided to do it together and i think maybe the maybe the danes have just um decided that they're going to clap before kickoff as a sign of um respect and solidarity yeah. i'm not i'm not sure but they yeah, really no. haven't decided to do it but i'm not uh it, obviously that's a, a decision the danish fa have uh, made but because um, obviously scotland didn't do it but they did do it in the game with us um as a show of solidarity, so I, I don't know whether it's just a different approaches that different organisations are taking. I presume. Yeah. I, I uh, yeah, I think I think I think that's why. Well, no, the the kind of the not doing it for some, doing it for others, is a reason I've been finding it quite performative because in in the in the Sunderland games this season, they've been tending to do it every time we've been on Sky or something. And not necessarily at the other games when it's just on the normal I follow stream, which right. I'm sure as a Leeds fan you're familiar with from the <laughs> past few years. And and Thankfully that, that to me no, that that to me is kind of just doing it for show, but it is by the by, there's there's no excuse for booing it because you've been told that's why they're doing it, and you're you regardless of what you claim you're booing at, you are you you are booing that booing these black players that's what you're doing yeah I, I think I think also on, on the note of the I follow versus Sky thing f- fair enough but also the, obviously the whole point of the gesture is to have it be seen so obviously doing it in front of the Sky cameras is kind of the point and maybe they just aren't sort of maybe they just isn't going to have the same impact if you're doing it in, in an empty crowd on an uh, empty stadium on I follow like is it really worth doing that? Because then it is just, there's no reason. You could flip it the other way around, that actually it's not. It's less performative to just do it on Sky because you're doing it for a purpose in front of a bigger audience. But look, anyway, um, I think probably drop that and let's get back to football because that's yeah. what we should really be talking about. Um, let's crack on with the Spain-Italy game, obviously the other semi-final. Uh, what did you think of the game in general? It was a great game, wasn't it? As a neutral, really, really enjoyable. Really, really end-to-end. Um, both teams look really strong, but also they, they both look really strong whilst making a lot of quite sloppy mistakes and very, very similar sloppy mistakes from both sides. There were quite a few points where like one, one player would give the ball away from a sloppy pass. It would get past a couple more and it would just go straight back. They didn't have to intercept it. It would just be passed straight back to them. 
that was that was kind of the theme throughout the game, to be honest. Um, and I think I think it was a fair result on the end. Um, I I don't think you have to be psychic to know that Morata was going to miss his penalty when he stepped up to take it. I've never seen someone look less confident in my life. Um, and just semi-related to that, I. I I, I like the amusing things in football. I don't know if you saw this. An American um, TV broadcaster, I don't know if... It, I, I, I couldn't tell you which one. Someone put out some... So one of these, uh, like, anti-Ronaldo trolls put out um, blaming Penaldo, just quoting, and uh, blaming Penaldo for Morata missing because Morata never, got, never gets to practice penalties at Juventus <laughs> because Ronaldo takes them off. And, and this American channel put this tweet up and had a legitimate 10 minute discussion about whether or not Ronaldo was to blame for Morata missing the penalty that's I just, unbelievable it, it really really amused me I, I was like someone someone sent me it and I was like no this is a joke like it's just a fake screenshot and then I looked and was like no these people have actually discussed that and they've also had a legitimate like TV station had to explain the nickname Penaldo as well Oh just all of it was just really, really laughable. What did you think of the game? That's, I, I, yeah. That, <laughs> that aside, um, I, again, re- really great game. I, I actually think the result was un- unfair. I thought that Spain were were much the better team. I think we we discussed last time out. Well, uh, I said that the game would be a bit of a battle for possession, and I think it was a game that. The game was lost, but I thought Spain won the midfield battle. I thought that, um, just like Koke, uh, did a bit of a job on Verata and just sat on him. Like Verata, uh, let me just double check, but, uh, sorry, Verati, uh, only managed 37 touches. Uh, so Koke did such a good job of just shutting him out and Koke put up, um, 14 pressures, Pedri put up 24 pressures, Sergio Busquets put up 28 pressures, and I think they just completely, like, sort of dominated Jorginho, um, Verratti, and to a lesser extent, Barella, because I thought Barella was quite good in the moments when he did manage to get on the ball, but I, I just, I just think that they, they really struggled Italy to get, get their foot on the ball in that, um, that zone, like, Jorginho really struggled to dictate play. On the flip side, I thought Busquets did a great job of just managing the ball really, really well. Getting Pedri on the ball, um, who was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, it was like, it wasn't until sort of the 95th minute or something that he misplaced the pass. Like, he had 100% pass accuracy up until like the 95th minute or something. That's insanity. I mean, and, and it wasn't just, you know, it's not just easy passes. Like, he's genuinely like trying to unlock things. Like, so, so, such an impressive player. And I, I think that I, I thought that Italy were quite lucky in the end to to stay in the game. I mean, I think Spain had something like seventy percent of the ball as well, and Italy, yeah, did transition a little bit quick quicker, so aren't as sort of uh, sort of just uh, slow yeah, with with possession, so therefore going to keep the ball for a bit longer, but. Spain as well created quite a lot. I thought it was quite nice that they played like Dani Almo as a sort of false nine. He was dropping into midfield and really, um, again, just offering another body in that midfield to really overwhelm Jorginho and Verratti in particular and limit the amount of time that Barella could have on the ball. Barella only had 29 touches and still managed to do quite a lot 
in those limited touches, but there's only so much he could do. I just thought quite sort of a shame, I think, for Spain in the end, who I haven't been that impressed with um, up until this point in the tournament. But I thought they, I, I thought they actually deserved that victory in the end, and obviously Italy managed to sneak it on penalties, and Morata will go down as the man that sort of ruined it all for them, which is a bit of a shame. Which, yeah, which is it's kind of an un, not unfair, but it's an unfortunate legacy given I felt he came on and I would say changed the game, to be honest, because he he didn't change how they were playing. But he, they, Spain, I, I don't really know why he was dropped. He's looked pretty good for them all tournament, even when he's not scored. They they needed a striker. That whole that whole game, they were just lacking that focal point. And Danny Olmo looked great. I, I thought he was probably their best like attacking player. Um, but uh, he's a Baza Boyal? No, however you pronounce his name. Oh, he or whoever it is. Uh, not, yeah, he, uh, oh, yeah, he was not name. Yeah, he was not very good. Um, he missed that absolute sitter to just tap it in with a late header. Um, and then when Morata came on, he scored in really good fashion. Um, and was exactly what they'd been missing. And I think they probably would have won it if he'd have been on from the start. Well, I do, I, I do wonder that because I think the reason he didn't start was to play the false nine so that they could have an extra body in midfield. And that meant that they dominated the midfield. But as you say, it meant that they weren't quite as incisive going forward. So when Morata came on, he immediately did change the game and offered them a lot more in behind. Obviously, he took his goal very well. But I don't think they would have dominated the ball and dominated the game so much if Morata had started and they'd taken a body out of midfield. So it's I guess it's just a payoff, but they just couldn't quite seem to get that balance right. And to be fair, Morata's been missing chances for fun all tournament as well. Yeah. So although he's been great and I agree I agree with you, I really love Morata. He's one of those that's just movement is phenomenal and offers so much even when he's not scoring. But <clears throat> and it, obviously he came on and was clinical, but he hasn't really been clinical the whole time. And I think that kind of summed up Alvaro Morata coming on, changing the way the game looked, scoring a great goal, and then absolutely fluffing his lines on a penalty. It's kind of his career in a nutshell. Um, it's a, it's such a shame because he is such a good player. And I mean, that was just piss poor penalty, was it? Well, though, yeah, it's, he's kind of he's not he's not the same sort of player. But he has the same problem as Werner. If they if they could finish, if they both had the finishing of someone like Harry Kane, they would be the best strikers in the world, and it wouldn't be close. They're like they're the amount of chances they both get each game, the movement they have off the ball is just exquisite, and the finishing really lets them down again yeah. and again. Yeah. Just to touch of oh, that Jorginho um, penalty. Mm. Ice in his veins. Cool. One That's of those cool. as well. Kind of the opposite of Morata. You could see Morata was about to miss it. Jorginho, there was no doubt it was going in. It's a, yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting one as well because, I, as I say, I thought Jorginho really struggled in the game, and then he has this ice cool moment uh, to score the penalty, and you know, Italy triumphant, and he scored the winning penalty, and he's kind of the hero. Whereas Morata, I actually think, had a better game in the minutes that he played, and then has a horror show of a penalty and the, the narrative gets flipped. It's it's really interesting how quickly, because I think if Italy lost that game, I think people would have said, oh, Jorginho, not, not good. And what, but, you know, it's what it is. But anyway, so we've got, we've did, got Italy then. Did in you the see, 
Did you see um, <laughs> just when Morata stepped up for his penalty? Did you see Jorginho absolutely screaming? And I don't know, I don't know what was said because I don't know what language he was speaking in. But it was clearly something quite abusive. <laughs> like I don't, it was very. It, I I don't, I don't think that was the reason he missed for any advantage. Very uh, similar. I'm not sure if you've seen the translations on the Emmy Martinez in the Copper America. He saved three penalties the other night. And all of them, he, he was just, just shouting abuse and telling them like what he was going to do to them and how they were scared and how he was in their heads. And, and he clearly was. I, I, I love that kind of mind games. It's amazing, yeah. It's the, it's the cricket keeper, uh, sorry, the uh, wicket keeper in cricket sort of approach, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so we've got Italy then in the final. Um, how do we feel about that in general? I... They're beatable. It's, it's it's not it's not like we've we've had we've obviously had the easier half of the draw, but it's not like we fluked ourselves here and we're gone. Oh, this will be nice throwaway final now. Probably, I think it will be a really tight, really tight game. I kind of I don't really see there being if a team wins in um in full or extra time, I don't see it by being by more than one goal I, I really don't I don't really see either team can I'd be surprised if either team conceded more than one goal to be honest um, I think it, <coughs> it will be definitely a bit more well will be as defensively minded um, I think Henderson and Phillips have to start for me I because I, having having Henderson in that midfield over ice we've discussed it but it pushes Phillips into that six role which he does better and Henderson is a better eight obviously because that's his actual role he's much more box to box for Liverpool he's a Champions League winning captain he's a Premier League winning captain he is by far the best midfielder we have if he's fit he has to start this game if, if he's if he's fit enough to start he has to well uh, I so do do you so you'd start Phillips and Henderson and would that be in the four two three one or four three three or would you yeah. shift to a five? Yeah, I think I'd probably yeah I think I'd probably stick with the four. Yeah, I I think again this is going to be a game that is all about the midfield battle, and I think we can take a lot of comfort and sort of tips from what it was that Spain did well against Italy. And I think that was just shutting out those players. So Mount is going to have to have a brilliant game of just harassing Jorginho in that sixth role and just make sure that he doesn't have any time on the ball. And then this is why I think we probably won't start with Henderson anyway, because he'll want to push, he'll want to keep Phillips in that eight role so that he can push up onto Verratti and cause him real problems to limit what he's good at. And then Rice can occupy Barella. Um, I wouldn't mind if it was Phillips on Varela and then Henderson on um, Verratti, but I think Southgate, and for fairly good reason, will decide that Rice and Phillips is the better defensive and pressing options that can occupy those two players better. Because is he going to actually care about what Phillips or Rice offer on the ball when he's going to be mostly concerned with the, the defensive output? Yeah, that that's fair. I just, I don't know. He he's just he is better in 
possession, and I feel like we'll want to keep the ball away from the Italians as much as possible because they can be really dangerous. I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll get away with doing what we did against Denmark, which was actually gave them quite a lot of time when they had it out in those wide areas. There were a few points where I felt we did that too much. Um, there were there were certainly a couple of chances we conceded which we just gave them too much time. It was kind of in our final th- in our in our third, in like it, it's it's okay to let them have it out wide in the middle of the pitch when they're doing nothing with it. But once they've progressed into that final third, you have to tackle them, and we didn't do that. Um, I think if we do that against Italy, they will punish us because they have some really strong wingers. Uh, Insigne against Walker is going to be a really fun battle to watch because they're both rapid. Like they, they, that'll be really. He'll have to be on top form. It's. I think they're very well matched sides. To be honest, I'm. I'm kind of. My the the England and Sunderland fan in me says we're going to get battered three 0 but like looking at it with my head, I kind of. I, I, it might go to pens. That if I'm. That's kind of what I'm feeling. Either a nil-nil or a 1-1 to penalties. Go the whole way. Because I don't think either... Because t- I think as well, I know we've conceded once. I know Italy have conceded a few more than us. But they have still been really defensively solid all tournament. I just don't think either team will want to risk conceding. Because there there is a chance that if you do that, if you concede, you won't get the chance to equalise. Yeah, I, I think it will be... I mean... Finals often are quite cagey affairs. I mean, it's sort of the way it goes. My my bigger concern actually is on the other other side because I'm if he goes with Chiesa, who I think's had the better tournament since coming in to play on that right hand side, I actually think will be more comfortable because he wants to try and get in behind a lot, and I just don't see that being a problem. But if he starts Berardi or Berardi comes on and plays as that right winger, I worry about Shaw trying to follow him inside. I don't think Shaw is as comfortable sort of coming in field and tracking a man, whereas Walker is a lot more comfortable doing that and can kind of, he'll go anywhere. He's 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 a far more sort of adept uh, defensive player in that sense, whereas I think there's room to exploit Shaw there if you want to try and drag him in field. And I think that can then draw Rice out of position, which might leave Barella free. And I can see some knock-on effects there, but so that that'd be my concern, but I I agree with you. I think it'd be fairly conservative, fairly cagey, but with some really exciting players uh, on display. Talking of Italy's wide players, though, who are our wide players going to be? Presumably Sterling will start, but who's the other other choice? I don't know. I I, I think <laughs> I've given up trying to predict what he's going to do. I I hope not Saka, and mm. we've already covered that. That's not. For a criticism of Saka, that's more for a compliment of the other options. Um, I'd have liked to see Sancho play yesterday, and then he'd get could potentially get a bit more momentum behind him. But kind of throwing him in now, say for the final, he's played one game and then been dragged off, and then and then to come in for the final is quite like that's quite a lot of pressure to put on him. And I, and I know he's a Dortmund player and has obviously been under pressure before, but like everyone's human. You have like that that is quite a tough thing to do to a player. And I, I don't think I don't think Southgate will, which kind of leads me to the conclusion that Saka probably will start again. 
Yeah, I I think Saka probably will start. I would probably start Foden, but yeah, if there's ever a game for Saka, I don't mind it being in the game where he'll play on the right wing, where Italy don't have their first choice left back starting, so it'll be Emerson. Inside Emerson is uh, Chiellini and Bonucci, who are both quite slow and old, so having actually two wide players that are really quick in behind, yeah, it's probably not the worst game for it. I still think Foden can do that. I still think Foden's a better option, but I think Saka will suit it's the game against Italy more than he suited the game against Denmark. So I think that'll be okay. Um, again, I, I, I'm much the same with you about Sancho. I would have loved for him to be involved a lot more this tournament, but at this point, it's too late. You can't just drop him into a final to start. I think it would be nice to see him get some minutes, but... Um, that is what it is. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it would probably be Saka. I'd start Foden. The rest of the team, I think, picks, picks itself. And fingers crossed we have a really exciting game and we come out on top. Uh, as you say, I think it probably will go to the go to the death. Um, but I'm going to say that it will be... Do you know what? I, I, think, it, I think it's going to be high scoring. I, I think it's going to okay. be... Four three England. Oh, that's quite a prediction. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I wonder what the odds are on that. <laughs> Probably not great. What, what did you think it was going to be? One one penalties. Yeah, I'll go one one. I think one one. We'll probably score. Okay, I might just be getting a bit hopeful. I just, I just fancy some goals. Um, but anyway, we'll move and on. I, to I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind four three as long as they score their three first. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I would because I'd be a nervous, like yeah. quivering wreck. <laughs> yeah, that, would, that would be that would be a treasure. Oh, by by the way, on the podcast um, last time before the Denmark game, I predicted that Denmark would um, score first. Score I first, then, you did. I then I, w- I then did say three one rather than two one, but I wasn't far off. I was going to say I must have been the only England fan in the country with about five minutes to go when. Um, Walker's running down the wing at one point. I was like, take it to the corner! Take it to the corner! <laughs> I was Don't the get another! We've been into Foden. <laughs> like, I can't have him being smug. <laughs> oh, it was close. If that, if that penalty had been given like it should have done, 3-1, baby. Exactly. 3-1. Uh, what can I say? I'm an absolute mastermind. Um, anyway, let's move on to our final section, which is actually turning into a complete shit because there's nothing actually to talk about. But um, your favourite individual performance, Callum? Um. I'm gonna I was very critical of this player for his defensive performance last week um, and I thought he was actually really really good defensively this week so I'm gonna give it to Luke Shaw because he wasn't as good going forward Um, there were a couple of times like I said where the the winger got into our final third and I thought he should have been over quicker to close it down but I, I just thought he had a much more solid game and didn't didn't look like as much of a defensive liability as I felt like he has done previously, even when he's made up for it with attacking performances. Cool. What about you? Um, my favourite individual performance was Pedri for mm-hmm. Spain. I think we haven't spoken about him probably as much as we probably should have done. He's been absolutely brilliant this tournament for a guy that's 18 as well. He's done unbelievably well. And if I was um, anyone with, you know, half a decent-looking bank account right now, I'd be knocking on Barcelona's door and just sort of inquiring about how much they might be willing to let him go for, given their financial troubles right now. 
I think that they shambles might need going yeah absolute shambles but I would be you know in the same way that if I was Man City I'd probably just inquire about like De Jong and just see well they desperately need money if you throw 45 50, 50 million quid at them for De Jong you're getting absolute steal and they might need the cash that bad so um I, th- I, I think that's interesting but I mean Pe- Pedri has been wonderful all tournament and he would We'll probably actually do it after the final. We'll do a, we'll both come up with a team of the tournament, um, like sort of starting 11. But I think like he's easily in there for me. Um, he, yeah. as I say, he put up like nigh on 99% passing accuracy while trying a lot. That was like 61 out of 62 passes completed, which is absolute madness. Uh, he's really like nice on the ball as well. He put up 10 progressive carries. Like he can actually, he's not just a sort of static passer. Like he will carry the ball as well. Um, creates a lot for his team. He's, he's that sort of player where you would always see him being, you know, the pass before the goal. It's that sort of thing. You know, he's the one that's always putting people in a position where they're cutting teams that open and then, um, someone else is putting it on a plate for someone else. So, um, he, he, he's absolutely wonderful and he's been terrific. And for a player of his, his age to handle, the pressure on this stage has been absolutely phenomenal. I thought he was brilliant against Italy. He's covered um, the most ground in the tournament I saw, which is crazy. Oh, is that for yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was before the semi-finals. I can't see that having changed, to, to be honest. No, probably not. Um, but like the for for a player of eighteen, that, that's just incredible. Absolutely insane. That's been insane. I imagine only to be honest, Calvin Phillips might come close to that ground coverage. I saw that Calvin Phillips covered 15k against um, D- Denmark, which is uh, I mean, just unbelievable. It's not bad. <laughs> uh, it's not bad, is it? I wish I could do that in a, in a nice <laughs> way. Um, biggest disappointment then, Cal? Um, prob- probably uh, individual performance given there's not many yeah, like I, I'm, I'm going to go with Rice, I think, just because he was mm. of, of all his strengths, he showed none. He was yeah. all, all of our, all of everyone's really his criticisms and issues with him. He just had a night of just doing that, really, and it and it is disappointing because even though I've been fairly critical of him uh, the past few episodes, he he has the ability to not be as poor as he was last night. And yeah, that's why. Yeah, I completely agree. And on a similar level, my biggest disappointment is Jordan Pickford, and just for all the reasons we've already said, I think. You expect him to be completely sound in distribution, and if he's not doing that, then he's if he's distributing like he did against Denmark, then he's not our first choice keeper. And I think that's that's my that's my concern because I think he needs to be consistently good with his distribution to overcome some of the issues that he can sometimes display elsewhere, some of his sort of erratic tendencies. And he wasn't that against Denmark; he wasn't sound in distribution. So I think that's really disappointing. Um, yeah. but I'm just going to defend him again quickly. Yeah. I, th- I think, to be fair to him, that is the first poor. He he's obviously has oh, yeah, yeah. consistently been inconsistent for Everton. Apart, he had a much stronger second half of the season, obviously, but historically has not always been the most consistent for Everton. I think that is the first time in a in a tournament that he's put in a poor performance for England. No, which I is completely saying something. I completely agree, and it obviously wasn't uh, huge like detrimental really to the result um, yeah. but I think just given part of this is given how good he's been this tournament as well that that performance was a real letdown um, and just leaves me maybe a little bit shaky about whether the final might be 
too much for him pressure wise and whether that this is sort of the level of game that he's playing at that may be affecting his confidence and just how calm he can be with the ball at his feet but we'll see we'll see um, I think he's had a great tournament so I'm not sort of going to rip into him too much um, your Golly biggest surprise love, hasn't he he has got, sorry yeah, just, yeah. no, no yeah, um, biggest surprise I don't I don't know if this is a surprise I just thought Locatelli looked really strong when he came on he looked very good on the ball um, I didn't it's quite it's not always the easiest position to assimilate into in mm. that sort of midfield role and I just thought he looked really solid I've not I've not got much more in-depth analysis than that. I just no. thought he looked decent. Well, if you ask my housemate, I'm constantly bashing on about Locatelli because I love him and I've loved him for a long, long time. And it was great. He started the tournament so well and I thought he was quite unfortunate to lose his place when Verratti came back from his injury. I, I don't blame uh, Mancini for putting Verratti back in because he's obviously an elite uh, number eight Verratti. But I thought Locatelli was... Um, Unfortunate, and as you say, uh, he's consistently putting good performance, whether that's 90 minutes or just um, substitute appearances coming on. He just provides he provides a lot, and if nothing else, just a lot of energy. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, my biggest surprise, I did have uh, Brathwaite down, because I think he's another one that actually all tournament, and particularly against us last night, has been so much better than I think anyone remembers Brathwaite being like when he was at Middlesbrough or anywhere else and it's kind of a surprise to see him playing like prime Ronaldo or something but I thought <laughs> he was very good last night and he seems to have consistently been this tournament at least very very good for Denmark despite the fact that he's stealing a living at Barcelona so I just yeah. think that's quite interesting but I actually think my biggest surprise this is a bit of a shoehorn but my biggest surprise is actually going to be Grealish being subbed off having just been subbed on I I I I just didn't think that Southgate would do that. I don't think it was the wrong decision, like, tactically-wise. I, I completely get why you take one of your attacking players off there to uh, bring on Trippier and go to a back three and just kind of sit a little bit deeper. Although I, I always get a bit shaky when people do that because you invite a lot of pressure onto yourself, but it worked. Um, I just didn't think that Southgate would be that sort of, like, ruthless manager with a player. I thought, well, I'm not, yeah, I thought he would sit there and be like, well, I'm not going to take off Greenwich because I've just brought him on and that is a bad look and that sends the wrong message to my player. So I'll take off Sterling or something. Someone that has played all game and it's not such a surprise if you substitute him. But no, he, he, he decided that Greenwich was the player he didn't need on the pitch at that moment. He had served his purpose and it was time to withdraw him. And I just thought that was a surprise and I don't, I don't hate it either. I, I really like Grealish. I want to see more more of him, but that was probably the right decision. And I just didn't think the Southgate had that in him. Yeah, no, no, I definitely agree. Um, it was not the incorrect decision by any means. It, it's just <laughs> clearly Southgate's love for um, Raheem Sterling outweighs everything else. Oh, 100%. Um, which... You know, he's been repaid more than uh, handsomely for that. Sterling's been phenomenal all tournament. And Sterling, Sterling must be on four goals now. Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. Wait, uh, so, yeah, 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 he scored against... Um, did he? Wait, did he score against Ukraine? Uh, he was on... The, he scored against um, Germany, Germ- didn't he? Germany. That yeah. was his third, wasn't it? Yeah, so he's on four now. When was, when was his Oh, score? no, he didn't score last night, did he? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, it's an old goal, wasn't it? Oh, of course. Oh, yes, that is true. No, so he's still on three, isn't he? He didn't score against the Ukraine. 
Uh, anyway, we'll see if um, one of him or Kane can maybe nick the golden boot. Um, I don't. I don't think they will. Probably. Are they not I scoring all four of your goals? No, Calvin Phillips getting a hat trick. Ah, okay, fair enough. Understandable. Obvious, obviously. Um, anyway, I think that probably just about wraps up the podcast. What do you reckon? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, thank you very much again for listening to this episode. If you made it this far, it's another absolute monster. I think after the tournament, we'll try and do more like half an hour episodes, just like quick fire ones. Um, because otherwise it takes me too bloody long to edit these. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, thank you very much. We're getting very close to the end of the tournament. I hope you've enjoyed all of these, uh, podcasts. Uh, if you haven't, as I say, I've, I've been, I've put up a couple of threads now on Twitter of a few different things. I'm going to try and do a bit more of that. So if you do want to check those out, where can they find us, Callum? That is, uh, at EAFC underscore podcast on Twitter. Um, it's just everyone's a football critic on Facebook. The the threads that Zach's mentioning, it's kind of it's not very easy to do the formatting both on Twitter and Facebook, so they tend to go up on our Twitter only. Obviously all the new episodes and, and any news we might have about the podcast um, goes up on the Facebook too, but just make sure to check out that Twitter page especially. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode. Please do join us after the final on Sunday. I don't quite know when we'll record, but we'll get that up at some point. The, the following depends week. on the result, doesn't yeah, it? Just, just and how many days recovery we need. You, you, you may never hear from us again. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, but anyway, yeah, all that's left to say is thank you very much, Mr. Distant. I will see you after England hopefully win the Euros. <laughs>